Amen. Thank you, Pat. Uh, we are so glad you joined us today. And as we said at the beginning of the service, this is a great time to share with others, invite people on social media. It's one of the ways that we can uh, spread the good news of Jesus right now. And we know the good news is surely needed in our world right now. Uh, I, I admit over the last week or two, I've not been watching the news nearly as much as I did back in, in March and April with the beginning of the pandemic and all of the lockdowns and everything. But this weekend, what little bit I did see of the news was heartbreaking. As we've seen uh, demonstrations and uh, even violence, which many of those we know are are totally irrelated, people who just love to make chaos. But, but, but what, what's happening so often is the crying out for justice in a world that seems so unfair. And yesterday on social media, I, I just wrote a few words, kind of a little poem that came to mind as I think about all of the sides of the equation. And the words that came to mind were heartbreaking, injustice, powerlessness, weeping, fear, darkness, pride, arrogance, mistreatment, hopelessness, distrust, division, the ways of man, but Jesus, knower of sorrows, healer of wounds, restorer of the broken, we fall on our knees we cry out, Lord Jesus. And I thought this morning when I got up about Jesus declaring his mission in this world when he went to his hometown in Nazareth and he, he read from the scroll, the scripture that says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus said, this scripture is fulfilled in me. That, that this is his mission, our mission. And so could we just begin as we get ready to go into our scripture today from the book of Revelation in the series that we're in, but could we just stop right here at the beginning and just pray in the midst of the chaos of our world. Lord, we think of this scripture that, that Jesus read. Father, that Jesus declared the spirit of the Lord is on him. And we know that in your word that your spirit is on us. Because Jesus was anointed and we are anointed to preach good news to the poor. That in the scripture it says that Jesus was sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and, and that's what we were sent to proclaim and recovery of sight for the blind, for miracle healing power and to release the oppressed and to proclaim the favor of the Lord that is only found in Jesus. Lord, help us to be ambassadors of your good news and to stand up for the oppressed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody say, or maybe in the comments say, amen. 
Well, folks, again, thank you for joining us today. We are in week four, or I'm sorry, week three out of four. There's one more week in this series on the book of Revelation. And obviously we, we can't cover everything that's in Revelation, but we've kind of tried to cover some of the high points. And in the very first week of the series, we gave you these four guidelines for how to read Revelation and, and what we will tend to miss if we don't pay attention to these three or four things. Number one, if we don't know early church history, Number two, if we don't know the Old Testament. Number three, if we walk away feeling frightened. And number four, if it doesn't make us more like Jesus. And so over the first few weeks of this series, we've talked about early church history and what was going on in the first century and how the book of Revelation reveals uh, that. We, we, we talked about the Old Testament and how so much of, of Revelation, almost 70% is actually quoting from or referring to things in the Old Testament. And then last week on Sunday night, we did something here at the church that was really, really fun. And, and I, I've talked to a lot of people this week who didn't even know that we did this. And so I'm letting you know now in case you missed it. Last Sunday night, we were right here with Shane Grant, Nathan Adams, and me. And we took your questions live. People wrote in the comments their questions, anything you wanna ask about the book of Revelation. We took those questions live. I don't know how we did, uh, I, I, but we tried our best and we hope that it brought glory to God. So you can still find that if you go to our Moncton Wesleyan Facebook page and look for the live recording from May 24th. But today let's get started with uh, Matthew 24 which is the one chapter, we talked about this in the Q&A session last uh, Sunday night, that it's the one chapter where, where Jesus talks more about end times stuff and the end of the age more than anywhere else. And listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse five through six. Uh, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. And yet many Christians are alarmed and worried. Isaiah chapter eight, verse 11 through 13 says, this is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And I think that, that, that what it's saying is one of the main messages of the entire Bible and especially in the book of Revelation is that God wants to equip you and empower you to become an overcomer. No matter what this world throws at you, that we do not fear the things of men because we fear and have our faith in God alone. And yet many of the conspiracy theories and, and fears that Christians have 
will often come from three little verses found in one particular chapter of the book of Revelation. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. Are you ready? Today, finally, we're gonna get into what a lot of people have been hoping we would cover, the mark of the beast and 666. Okay, so the place you find it is in Revelation chapter 13 at the end of the the chapter, but we're gonna start at the top of the chapter and just kind of hit some of the highlights. Verse one through three says, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns and on each head, a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. And so here at the top of the chapter, you have the dragon, which Revelation in another place identifies that it's speaking about Satan, who who, uh, sets up this beast with power and authority. And then in the next few verses of chapter 13, it says that the beast even is able to do some miracles, kind of like Jesus, a false Messiah. And then people begin to worship him and want for him to become their leader. And that's one of the things that, you know, when I look at the world today and how much chaos there is and with the pandemic and and so much of what's going on, that I think one of the things this could be referring to is our tendency as humans and our fear and living in chaos, we might be willing to surrender power to anyone who says they can bring about peace. But then skip down to verse 15. The second beast, it says, was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. And so this second beast rises up, it says, and and forces people to worship the image of the first beast. And then here's the kicker, okay? Are you ready? Here's what often causes Christians to uh, to worry and fret. We see two things here in the next few verses, a mark and a number. Verse 16 says, it also forced all people, great and small, rich and and, uh, poor, free and slave, here it is, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. And, and in our small groups, we, we do small groups based on the teachings every Sunday and our small groups are our, you know, the, the whole focus of our church and, and, and the way that we accomplish our mission as a church. And in our small group discussion guide, we talk about that little line this week. We're gonna be talking about what does it mean to have wisdom and how to handle the word of God with wisdom. But let's continue. It says, so let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man or some translations say the number of man. That number is 
666. So let's talk about this number and the mark. And so first of all, what is the number of the beast 666? This has caused countless theories and endless speculation. Uh, let me read to you some of uh, just the last thousand years in church history. A thousand years ago, Pope Gregory VII declared his enemy Gebert of Ravenna the Antichrist. And his response, uh, in, in response, his enemies declared that Pope Gregory VII himself was the Antichrist. Then a few generations later, someone declared Pope Gregory IX was the Antichrist. And then in the, in the 1500s, somebody thought Martin Luther was the Antichrist. And then the 1600s, some said Peter the Great, the Tsar of Russia was the Antichrist. And these are just some of the highlights. The, the point being each generation will come up with its theories of who they think this is referring to. In the 1980s, some said the American president Ronald Reagan was the beast of Revelation. Why? Because his full name was Ronald Wilson Reagan, Ronald six letters, Wilson six letters, Reagan six letter, letters, 666. Well, apparently there were a lot of antichrist theories in the 1980s because listen to this quote from Robert W. Fade, a nuclear engineer. This was back in the 1980s. He said, after Gorbachev's name was transliterated into numbers corresponding to the numbers read uh, represented by each letter of the Cyrillic uh, and Hebrew alphabets, Fade came up with the number 666. Then he said, he said, the beast in Revelation has feet like a bear, symbol of Russia, has seven heads like the seven wars in the Warsaw Pact, has a scar on its head and appeared suddenly. The Soviet population is 276 million, which is Satan's number. So in the 1980s, he declared Gar Gorbachev must be the Antichrist. Now, Gorbachev from Russia is 89 years old today, and all the other people that we just mentioned are all dead, and so apparently these predictions were wrong, or were they? We'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the ideas of the Antichrist in just a minute, but first of all, today there are countless videos on YouTube predicting that Bill Gates is the Antichrist. Also, the United States Congress, some people say, are working on a, a, a law that is numbered 6666. There's an extra six on the end for some reason. And then also, some say the coronavirus is a sign because the word corona is spelled with six letters. And so we hear this stuff every day. And what are we to make of it? Does any of it have merit? Well, a lot of it probably does not. But who knows, right? And here's what I will say though, historically. There is something to keep in mind here because in the, the Greek New Testament, this number is not necessarily three individual numbers, 666, but rather an accumulated number, 666. And that makes a lot of sense when you understand that in, in the time 
when Revelation was written, there was a popular thing called gematria. And gematria was like a code where you would take the letter in the alphabet and correspond it with a number. So in Greek, alpha is one, beta is two. And then when you get to the 10th number, you start going 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 for each number. And then when you get to 100, then the next set of 10 letters has 100, 200, 300. For example, here's an example in uh, Pompeii. In the ancient city of Pompeii, archaeologists found an inscription that supposedly says, I love the woman whose number is 545. And so that makes sense when, if you know her name and you can add it all up, it's kind of a riddle that tells you who the person is. And that's why in the first few centuries of uh, the, the church, there were a number of people who believed that what it was referring to was the Roman emperor Nero. Because when you take Nero's name and use the numerical values transliterated into Hebrew, it comes up to, it adds up to the number 666. Uh, if you, now some don't realize that in some ancient translations of the Bible, in some ancient copies, it's 616 instead of 666. And you might wonder, well, why do some ancient copies of the Bible say 616? And if you take Nero Caesar and transliterate it uh, into Latin pronunciations in Hebrew, it comes to 616, okay? And we could go through the Bible and we could see how also all throughout the Bible, six is the number of man, the number of imperfection, seven it, throughout the Bible is the number of perfection, the number of God. And so six is one less. So man, you know, less than God, imperfect, God's perfection. Or then you can go an extra number and the number eight has Jesus Christ. When you do gematria on uh, the name Jesus Christ, the letters can add up to the number 888. And all of a sudden our minds are like, right? And, and, and we could talk about this stuff for hours, but we're not going to, don't worry. But listen, here's the thing. I'm not trying to convince you either way. Because doing all these calculations is great fun. It, 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 it's, but at its core, I think we have to be careful not to miss the point here. Instead of trying to figure out who it is, I think Jesus said, if we could put this on the screen, I think Jesus said that what should concern us more than who the Antichrist is, is the spirit of the Antichrist. And listen what John himself said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Because I think what's happening here 
is, is we, we talked about over the first two weeks of the series how Babylon was kind of like the first prototype of the Antichrist. And Babylon obviously shows up all throughout Revelation because they come in, they desecrate the temple, they, they shut down the worship of God and persecute believers in the one true God. And then we talked about Antiochus Epiphanes and, and we talked last week about the Roman emperors, Nero and Domitian. That, that what, what's happening here, I think so often is it's showing us a pattern of how Satan works in this world. That people so desperately want a leader who will bring peace and security in the midst of the chaos of this world. And so what Satan does to provide an alternative to people turning to Jesus to find that peace and security is to set up an antichrist type leader who desires to be worshiped and, and persecutes believers and excludes them from having influence in society and participation in the marketplace. So let me sum all that up. I don't think the question of who is the Antichrist is the most important question. I think the most important question is who or what is keeping you from full surrender to faith in Christ right now in your life? Because 1 John says, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus as Lord is the spirit of the Antichrist. Which leads us to the other big question. Are you ready? Number two, what is the mark of the beast? This mark that everyone needs in order to buy and sell. Will it be a microchip? Will it be a tattoo? Will it be a vaccine? People ask me this stuff all the time. And you know my answer? I, I don't know, right? I mean, it's possible that any of those things could potentially pave the way for future persecution and exclusion of people of faith. But brace yourself, all right? I am not fully convinced that what Revelation 13 is talking about is an actual mark on your hand and on your forehead. Now, it might be, but... I don't think biblically it has to be. And, and so this is where some of you maybe are jumping off the couch going, Joel, what are you saying? I thought you, you take the Bible literally. And the answer is, I do. I love this book and I stake my life upon it. But, but have you ever noticed that this sign of a mark on your hand and on your head is not unique to the book of Revelation? That, that you find it throughout the Bible, especially, let's go back to the very front of your Bible. And one of the first references to this idea is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 8. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 8. This is one of the most important passages of Scripture in the Jewish uh, canon of Scripture. It, it's what throughout history Practicing Jews would recite very first thing in the morning, the very last thing before going to bed, the foundation for everything in life. In Hebrew, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'evta et Adonai Eloecha bekol avavka uvekol nafsheka, or let's do it in English this time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And you know that Jesus said, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment, the meaning of life? Jesus pointed to this very verse and said, this is the greatest commandment and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then it goes on, let's, let's go, back, go back one, uh, to these commandments, it says right after the, sh- the, uh, the, the first commandment and greatest commandment, Jesus says, then it says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then in the next few verses, it tells us how we are to put these commands on our hearts. It says to impress them on your children, to talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Is this sounding familiar? Yes, (laughs) it should sound familiar. God says that you need to put his word in two places, on your hand and on your head. Therefore, because of this verse, guess what many Jews have done throughout the centuries? Let me show you a picture. As they take this verse literally, uh, this is an Orthodox Jew, an image of wearing what's called a phylactery or teflon. And what you're seeing here up on the forehead is a little leather box attached by a strap. And then you see a strap around the hand that leads to the bicep with another little leather box. Now, if you've never been to uh, Israel or maybe even to a place with a strong Orthodox Jewish population like New York City, you may have never seen like anything like this before, perhaps. And uh, we were just in Israel a few months ago at the beginning of the year before all of these lockdowns took place. And we took a large group. Uh, and as we were in a European airport getting ready to board our flight to Tel Aviv, Israel, A lot of the people in our group were intrigued to see people dressed exactly like this when it came time to prayer, uh, to have prayer. They would strap all of this on, the Teflon, the phylacteries. And, and And I had them guess. I said, what do you think is in the little leather box on the head and attached to the hand? And, and there are all kinds of guesses. And the answer is little verses of scripture because this is an attempt to practically implement what Deuteronomy chapter six is saying, to put God's word on your head and on your hand. Now, I don't know about you, uh, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but when I read Deuteronomy chapter six, I don't think that this is what it means. That, That personally, I don't think it means to attach little leather boxes to your head. I think what it's saying, if we could go back to that scripture again, I think what it's saying is, may the word of God always be on your mind. In everything you think, that that it would pervade your thoughts, that that your, your spiritual mindset and your soul would be permeated with the word of God, and it also, that it would be on your hand. That everything you do, your work, your play, that everything you set your hand to will be for the glory of God. And so I think this verse in Deuteronomy is saying, let everything 
you think and everything you do be as an act of worship to God. That's what I think. But I don't know, what do you think? Let me ask you, when Deuteronomy 6 says to tie them on your hands and on your head, do you think that it is symbolic of placing it first in your life? Or do you think that we should start wearing leather boxes on our forehead. Let me show you in the New Testament, Revelation 14, verse one. It says, then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Later on in Revelation chapter 22, verse three and four, it speaks of heaven. And it says, no longer will there be any curse. In the new Jerusalem, the throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will, will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Now, I don't wanna miss out on heaven. And so I wonder, do I need to have his name tattooed on my forehead? And so... Uh, I, I don't think that that's probably what it means. You would probably say, well, Joel, I think it's probably saying that, that your identity needs to be in Christ, that, that you belong to him, that you are his child, his possession, that God's name needs to be on your forehead spiritually. And in the same way, I wonder, now I, I admit I could be wrong, but I wonder if, if, if it's possible that this Mark of the beast is more than just what we tend to think it is, but, but that literally it's anything that we might do that would compromise our faith in Jesus. I think the question of the mark is, who are you going to worship? Who are you going to bow down to? And so throughout history, there have been countless theories and speculations about what is the mark of the beast? And I hear people, decades ago, people were worried about taking credit cards because it might be the mark of the beast or worried about microchips now or vaccines or whatever. And here's what I wanna say very humbly in the midst of all of that, that I don't know. We'll, we'll never know for sure until we know for sure. And here's the point. I think that there's only one thing that matters when it comes to taking the mark. I, I think that it means this. I will not do anything that demands, number one, let's put it on the screen. I will not do anything that demands, number one, worshiping any other ruler as God. And number two, denying my faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so I feel so bad for so many Christians who are upset and worried and bothered. And, and I understand the concerns about things like microchips and vaccines and everything else. But listen, here's the point. I feel bad for so many Christians who are worried. And here's what I wanna say. If you take the mark of the beast, it will not be by accident. It won't be because somehow you were tricked. I think that there won't be any question. I think 
that, that there will not be any ambiguity wondering, ooh, is it this or is it that? I think you'll know. I think it would be impossible to take the mark by accident because if it's not worshiping any other ruler as God, and if it's not demanding that you deny your faith in Jesus Christ alone, then I don't think it's the mark of the beast. At least not yet. And so I wonder if one of the ways that we can honor God is by worrying less and trusting Jesus more. Remember what he said in Matthew 24, verse five and six, where Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and, and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Because remember, remember what we said at the beginning of the series, that if you pull back from little individual lines here and there and the things that we can speculate about, which I'm, I'm not saying are not valuable, it's valuable for us to talk about all this stuff. But the vast overview of Revelation from beginning to end is these three things. Number one, Jesus wins in the end. Number two, so we must worship God and Him only. Do nothing that would cause you to deny your faith and your allegiance to the Lamb of God. And number three, we need to be ready. We never know the day or the hour that Christ might come back. We need to live ready. And so all this symbolism, I don't think that it should surprise us because Jesus himself was very much into symbolism, especially two particular symbols that we call sacraments, baptism and communion. And today, as we prepare to take communion in just a few minutes, I wonder as we look at this idea of the mark of the beast and what it symbolizes, if, if it's not the perfect counterpoint to communion and what it symbolizes, which is true perfection. That, that, that the mark of the beast is about us denying our faith in Jesus, but the bread of communion is about us declaring our faith in Jesus. The, the mark is about compromising your commitment to Christ, whereas the cup is about confirming or consecrating your commitment to Christ. And so that's what we're going to do today. And as we sing this song together, I just want to invite you right now, if you have not done so yet, to grab whatever you can find in the kitchen, a piece of bread and a cup with something, whether it's juice. If all you have is water, I think, you listen, God's, Jesus specializes in turning water into wine. <laughs> I think it's okay today. And so as we sing this song, would you go ahead and make sure you have those elements ready. And then we're gonna come back. We're going to pray together. If you've not yet made a decision for Christ, we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that. And then together, we're going to share in the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. Let's sing these words. <laughs>